It is the 21st century. There are officially too many video games. But out there in the universe, it's waiting. The best video game you've never played. Welcome to the best video game you've never played, the podcast where I, stand-up and improv comedian Lewis Dunn, take on the suggestions of my guests to try and find out what is the best video game that I have never played. Will they introduce a game to me that is a bona fide classic that should join my repertoire of video games, or will they have wasted a week of my life in a time when going outside is verboten? This week on the show, we have got Alicia Judge, someone who actually writes about video games for a living. I know, someone with the legitimate credentials to tell me what is a good video game. She's written for places like The Guardian, the BBC, and even IGN, the actual video game gurus themselves. She's brought onto the podcast a video game that's about solving mystery and murder on the high seas. Want to know what it is? Well, you've probably read the title of the podcast already, but keep up the illusion as we now go and chat to Alicia Judge. Hello, Alicia. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing, Lewis? I am doing absolutely brilliant because I have just spent, I would say a week, but it actually took me two days, uh, playing the game that you brought along for the show. So why don't you tell everybody who's listening what you brought along? So I brought along a game called Return of the Obradin. Or Obradin, I don't really know how to pronounce it. Have you figured it out? I've been saying Obradin. I've been saying Obradin, mostly on the basis that... uh, Obradin makes me think it's like a knockoff Pokemon. <laughs> well, herein lies the first puzzle of Return of the Obradin, <laughs> how to pronounce it. Um, it is, it's, it's a detective game. So uh, essentially the year is 1807 and five years previously, a ship called the Obradin set sail. And throughout the course of the game, you slowly piece together the timeline of what happened to the ship and why now all of its crew are missing. And you do that because you are an insurance inspector. And that probably is the moment where most people will be switching off going, a game about an insurance inspector. (laughs) God, (laughs) why would I play that? Uh, But it is genuinely one of the best games I've ever played. It's if you're into detective stories, there is no other game you should be getting your mitts on. This is the thing. You start off by saying, who would want to play as an insurance inspector? And I'm sat here going, I loved playing that series of games, Phoenix Wright, where you are a lawyer. So I am absolutely (laughs) fine with being an insurance inspector. Well, and, you know, the the guy who made Return of the Oberdin, Lucas Pope, he also made um, Papers, Please, which is a game about being a passport control officer. So he's kind of carved out this really niche career of making games about the most bureaucratic boring jobs with them being fantastic yes it absolutely has it absolutely has and this is the thing i think i didn't know going into this game it was a lucas pope game Ah. so i had heard of this game before i started playing it i didn't have much expectation of it other than people said it was good and that i knew it was about it was a detective game it was about deducing things um, but as soon as I saw his name pop up on the on the title screen, I lit up. I was like, oh, brilliant. I had mm. no idea. 
that I was going to yeah. be playing a Lucas Pope game because I did like Papers, Please, albeit I only finished it once and it was one of the endings where you absolutely failed. Oh, I did the same thing. Yeah, it's a depressing game. <laughs> it, is, it is a depressing game, but in a good way, in a way that makes you go, this is art. Yes, no, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, similar-ish uh, to um, Papers, Please, Return of the Obra has multiple endings, um, which we won't, well, we might probably won't go into, but, you know, there's the different ways that you can play it, and depending on how good you are at the game, you'll get a better ending or not. I'm going to be honest with you, I did not know that. Ah! Yeah, I did yeah. not know this game had different endings. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, well, okay. First of all, my question for you is: Did you did you find out the fates of every single person on the ship? Yes, I did. So I should I should explain to the listener the way the sort of nuts and bolts mechanic of this game is that your job is to identify everyone on the ship who died, how they died, and uh, essentially uh, figure out from that the story of the Obra Dinn because you arrive on this ship and it's completely abandoned and the only things on it are a series of very rotted corpses, usually just bones hmm. or skeletons. And then you use a magic pocket watch <laughs> to go back in time to the moment they died and then from this uh, tableau, this frozen in moment time, assess what's going on and figure out who is it, how did they die and who killed them or were they killed by forces beyond man and and it's really tricky because um because of the art style you know it's it's got this um if you saw screenshots of it it's, it's not gonna win awards for the most beautiful game it's it's sort of i don't even know how you describe it lewis it's like is it like pointillism sort of very yeah. lo-fi sort of um sort of khaki and white dots yes yeah well the interesting thing so the whole game as you say it's black and white and the uh most of the i'm gonna say characters in the game are drawn as if they are illustrations in a book yeah uh, as if it's like a real because obviously one of the things you use in the game is an illustration of life at sea to help identify the people on the on the ship and it's yeah. sort of as if that drawing had been rendered in 3d yeah, that's so true. And so what that means is that sometimes, you know, you're looking at the snapshots of when someone died. You're kind of, you're you're able to walk through this sort of freeze frame of someone's last moments. But because, because it's not high resolution graphics, sometimes it can be quite tricky. You've got to really look and pay attention to the details to see something as, say, as small as a wedding ring or a number on a hammock it's um yeah it's really clever i think yeah i think it's genuinely i should I, i'm probably not keeping the cat in the bag much here i really like this game yes. i thought this game was so original and so interesting and so i think one of the things i admire most about this game above all else is it absolutely knows and respects the limitations of the person making it mm. it's not in any way trying to be bigger than it is and all of the decisions about the game design are done in such a way that at no point does it feel like the game is reaching beyond its means. It, it's superbly designed, and it feels like if we talk, people talk about auteurism in gaming, and like, is there such a thing as the auteur game developer? Lucas Pope absolutely has nailed this video game and made the video game at, like this game feels complete to me. I don't think you could make a sequel. I wouldn't want necessarily more content from it. 
it, it's a very complete video game from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, Mark Brown from Game Makers Toolkit did a really good video sort of breaking down um, some of the ways in which this is such a phenomenal video game. But one of them that I really agree with is he talks about how in detective games, normally there's quite a lot of hand-holding. So you, mm. uh, you, know, you might be given an objective marker to go to and at that objective marker you have to talk to a person um and there's sort of multiple choice options and maybe in in the process of looking through the multiple choice options you can kind of deduce or just brute force guess what the answer is there's none of that here in return of the Oberdin because you're only asked two questions in the whole game who is this crew member and what is their fate and you just have to do that for all 60 crew members but um it does really clever things like it won't tell you whether you've got the correct answer until you've got three correct answers in a row. So you can't just like guess one and immediately get the gratification of a correct answer. You've got to get um, one after the other. And there's there's so many crew members, it's impossible to piece together all the puzzle pieces by just putting, you know, shapes in the holes until something pops up. It's just, yeah, really well designed. Well, you say that. You oh, say that, Alicia. Did you guess? Did you do some guessing, Lewis? I did loads of guessing in no. this game. I I will admit, I what I would do because I'm um, I I'm not somebody who uh, falls easily for the developer trick of the combination lock. What I will do <laughs> is, if somebody presents a combination a combination lock at me with like a limited amount of options. I will brute force that lock. I'm not going to look for the solution for how you're supposed to actually solve that lock. Lewis! I played I played God of War 2018 and very rarely did I figure out the correct combination of things by solving stuff in the environment. I just hit them until they worked. Um, so I, di- I did, but that rule of three that you said where you have to get three right before it will lock in their fates mm. is a great way to deal with that mechanic because it doesn't leave you in a state of despair. It's not like when you do a Sudoku and then you suddenly realise that the last box doesn't make sense, and you're looking at a whole Sudoku going, oh no, the whole thing's ruined. I can't be bothered. I'm going to put this in the bin and never think about it again. So it, does, it, does, it doesn't leave you full of despair if you get something wrong. It does let you gradually work things down and work out what's going on. However, the rule of three trick is also a brilliant way to get rid of people you're uncertain of, because if you are certain of the fate of two crew members... Yes. You can go to somebody who you have no idea who they are or how they died and brute force that. Yes, but I actually, I would argue that that's, um, that is detective work. That is deduction in action. So like a really good example is the, is the midshipman. Um, so uh, one of them you discover, okay, this is slight spoilers for the game. Are we okay with talking about spoilers? I think what we'll say is there's definitely some moments in the game that are a surprise, but I think even if you knew the whole story of the game, you would still have a good time with it. So I think we're okay to do a little bit of spoiler. Okay, this is very minor. This isn't story spoiler, but it's sort of talking about the identities of the three midshipmen. So um, Mm. one of them uh, you meet and he's sort of throwing up below decks while they're slaughtering a cow and you hear one of them say oh have you never worked on a farm charlie and so you're kind of like okay well that guy must be called charlie and then um later on 
and you and so you kind of learn as well what his uniform is you have to really really pay close attention to what different characters are wearing in these sort of death montages so you're like okay he's got a midshipman uniform his name is charlie we can identify him and then later on you see another man in a midshipman uniform who um is dying and he says in his dying breath please tell peter's mum i tried to save him i tried to pull him back and yep. you realize that early you so you keep like kind of scrolling back and you look through all these different montage scenes until you find that same man and he's pulling on a rope as something is happening to this other midshipman which i won't go into uh. but you see that he is pulling him back on a rope trying to save him so then you're kind of like oh okay well that must mean that that guy is called peter which means the guy speaking must be the last midshipman and so so you know it's that sort of thing of you technically didn't learn like you didn't figure out the identity of the last midshipman it's just that he was the last one left and you knew there were three but it's, yes it's yeah. sort of um yeah, I really enjoyed that process of untangling it. And I just, I don't know whether you did this, Lewis, but I had this big sort of notepad next to me <laughs> that was just like this insane, I just scrawled do you know? Do you know what's off. absolutely mad to me about this whole discussion? You're talking about midshipmen's uniforms and figuring out people. I didn't figure out any of this. <laughs> I didn't spot any of these details. The, the, I primarily figured out who people were by their position on the drawing you're given. I figured oh, out that... interesting. Yeah, in one of the pictures, people are stood by rank. So you can start figuring out from there, Very okay, clever. well, they're the first officer. They're the first officer's mate. They're yeah. the... And you can just... And that, I did a, that's a lot of my brute forcing was going... No, but, yeah, that's, but, but that's not brute forcing. That's deduction. You've, you've looked at the clue and you've gone, well, that must be what it is. That's valid. It's deduction, but it was deduction combined with brute forcing because I was then going, okay, so they did this, so this must be of this rank, so is it that one? No. Is it that one? No. Is it that one? No. One thing I do find interesting about this game, and it's sort of... um, I don't necessarily know how to describe it in a way that's not going to necessarily make it sound worse than it is, but you do spend a lot of the game going... What nationality are you? Yeah. What country are you from? Is it plausible that you're Russian or is it plausible that you're Indian? And you do spend a lot of time yes. like listening for accents and like... You're... And some of them are slightly questionable. Yes. <laughs> but it was it's very interesting that you do that because I think... One thing I do like about the game is it doesn't drop a red herring at any point. No. I was living in fear of that someone with a Scottish accent was actually going to be from another country altogether. And the game would be like, ah, yeah, you see, check your prejudices. You don't know what you're doing. Um, which would have been a, a, a bold move from the game, particularly because it would feel very unfair. Um, <laughs> but it's it's interesting, I think, that because you're telling me you figured out the midshipman's uniform, you figured out where everybody was going in terms of you, you deduced from one scene someone else was called that name and so on, and you had this massive notebook. I didn't get a notebook. I know you you suggested ah, and recommended I, I grab a notebook, did. but I found the note taking in the game to be fine. I didn't. I didn't. Um, oh really? Yeah, I found the most important thing was identifying people. Mm. Just so long as you can figure out who someone was, that usually caused a massive chain reaction in going. Okay, I know who that one was. So they killed them, and they yeah. killed them, and they killed them. But it sounds like the reason that. I did it was because I ended up brute forcing it like a safe combination lock and you actually deduced more things and we still both solved the problem. <laughs> well, exactly. 
exactly. And that's the beauty of a game like this, right? That, um, you know, uh, compared to a detective game, like, you know, even something like the Arkham games, which has detective elements in them, um, mm. it's very much there's one path to solving the story. Whereas I love the fact that in this game, we both had different approaches and we noticed different things and we did it in different ways, but we both completed it and we both loved it. Yeah, and I would say as well, when you, you know you brought up the Arkham games, the Arkham games idea of detective work is point Batman at the thing and then he'll <laughs> tell you what he figured out. And you're exactly. like, wow, it's a good job Batman's in charge of this because I'd never have found out that that's how that person <laughs> fell out of a car. Um, it's interesting because it does, this is the thing, it does feel like the only game in its genre. I, like The closest I can get is to compare it, as you say, to those sequences in the Batman games where everything's frozen or mm. there are sequences in The Witcher 3 where you turn on your Witcher senses and look for the thing that glows red. And you get an idea of not necessarily... It, from those games, it doesn't feel like you're the detective. It feels like you're pointing a character who is a detective at evidence and then they tell you things. And this game refuses to tell you basically anything. Yeah, I mean, it's, that that's an interesting question in and of itself, because, um, I mean, I would just characterise this as a mystery or a detective game, but you are right that it does those two things very differently. And now we sort of, like, direct the conversation into a slight tangent, which is um, how do we categorize video games normally and we normally categorize them by what you do in them you know it's you're a, mm. doing a platformer it's a puzzle game um it is an action adventure game or a fighting game so when you try to categorize something like Oberdin, where what you're doing in it is so different mm. to other games you might kind of find yourself going oh i don't know how to categorize it but Really, I mean, if we categorised video games like we categorise movies, which is, or books, which is how they make us feel, you know, horror, comedy, romance, mm. this is just a mystery game. Um, and, but it just is so unique. You're totally right in um, everything from presentation to gameplay to game design to the fact that it's just one guy making it. I mean, serious respect <laughs> to him, but like... And um and it's something that you said earlier that I really agree with of um game design can be so fascinating when it is limited like when yeah. you've got someone like Lucas Pope who he can't make a big super high budget high resolution beautiful looking game because he doesn't you know he's he's just not got the art chops so he makes <laughs> a really low res game and, and um you know thomas was alone is another game in that vein mm. that uh the developer knew nothing about art like literally he was a good programmer but couldn't do art so he decided to make a game about 2d rectangles and circles and shapes and stuff and yeah. then like gave it a really good story and i think that you know this is a game that sits within that particular brand of game design of um something that you know, takes those constraints and goes, great, I am going to wring every single last drop of creativity <laughs> from what resources I have. But it's 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 so obvious to me. This is when you say you're talking about designing within limitations, I, I agree that this game feels like it definitely is. One of the things that I caught as I was playing it, I thought, you're really clever to have done this, is this is a game where a lot of characters do a lot of talking uh, lots of action happens and none of it is animated. The whole game, because mm. it's made up of these still images, 
at no point do we see anything other than I think your own hands ever actually move. That's so true. Which is genius because animation is what would have let down this game's graphical style. To see this thing move probably would have undermined a lot of the suspension of disbelief mm. of the art style. So it's it's completely mastered that idea of um, how you how you make the most of what you've got. But yeah. it, it it's a game about... I said this about The Outer Wilds last week. It's a game about an idea. This game isn't limited by the fact that it's like, oh, if only he had more money, he could have made it bigger and better. It's a game that's like, I have this one singular idea of these of this travelling back in time and finding people at the point of death and you having to deduce it. And that idea doesn't feel compromised. It doesn't feel like if he had 50 people working on it, this game would have been any better. Yeah, yeah, so agree. In fact, if he had 50 people working on it, it would probably be worse. <laughs> yeah, because there would be this need to bloat it and fill it with more yeah. and, and give it give, give it, it more of a thing. You know, where's the multiplayer mode yeah. for Obra Oh my God, where's the DLC? Give yes. me, give me yeah. some, uh, some skins that I can buy with some in-game currency. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, I've got a question for you. Did mm. you find it scary? Yeah. And this is a spoiler for at one point in the game. It doesn't ruin the whole plot of the game, but I'm going to say it particularly because it caught me off guard and I was not happy about it. <laughs> um, I have arachnophobia. Oh! So when giant spider crabs suddenly appear, I'll admit, they put them behind a wall the first time you meet them. So I yes. wasn't completely startled. But then you come to realise not only not only do I have to be in the presence of giant spider crabs, I sort of have to get quite close to walk past and examine giant spider crabs to figure yes! out what's going on. I so agree. That was the bit that I found really scary. <laughs> I found them so terrifying. I hid behind that wall for a really long time. And one of, <laughs> one of the things that I think was so scary about them was the fact that they didn't move. Like... Ah. It's... I found the exact opposite. I would not have finished this game if they moved. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I found it was um it was almost like this feeling of uh, I don't know, you know almost like um the statues in the Doctor Who Angels episode or something like this idea yes, the that weeping the, angels, the weeping yeah. angels of like you could go up to something and like stare it in the face but you just sort of felt like it might move behind your back if you like turned away from it or or even you know that if you move too close to it it might just suddenly go rah and come alive like I really got that feeling with some of the creatures that you see in Overden and um <laughs> yeah I found it really really freaky yeah it does it definitely has some horror elements I think actually one I'm, I'm now gonna lay down basically my only major criticism for the game <gasps> Which is that the story is fun and interesting, but as mysteries go, <laughs> not much of a mystery. It really, it really is. It doesn't take very long at all to figure out what's happened and what's going on. And the game constantly hints towards the ending being like, ah, there's some big revelation coming. There's a whole chapter in this book you're not allowed to see until you leave the Obra Dinn. And then you will finally get it. And it's not the final chapter. It's a chapter in the middle. Yes. So it's like, ah, suddenly it will all click and make sense. And then you play that final chapter. And I went, all right. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. There's no, there's no big twist in this game. And I would normally I'd say that's not a problem. A good story doesn't need a twist to be good. But this is a game that very much is like, ah, we've got a big twist coming. Just, just yeah. you wait. 
you'll find out what the bargain is and it's going to be a big deal. And then it happens and you're like, that wasn't a big deal. Yeah, that's so true. And it's the thing, isn't it, particularly within the detective genre, if you expect there to be a sort of, yeah, the twist in the middle. But I think because the fun of Oberdin just comes from piecing together the story of what happened and um, and the fact that it does it in non-chronological... Yeah, not in chronological order. So you sort of, like, you see one of the first events that you see is like right at the end of the story. And so you have mm. no idea what's going on. And like, that's, that's the fun of it, of just piecing together mm. the timeline. In my notebook, I ended up sort of um, creating a timeline and like would have like big sections missing from it and question marks and would slowly sort of fill it in as I played. But you're right. It's not as if there was a really big gap in the middle that I was like, oh my God, I really, really, really want to work to figure out what that big twist was. It was kind of like, oh okay cool like that yeah. that just confirms what the, we already suspected. yeah there's like one thing you don't know and then when you learn it you're like ah oh, right that's fine yeah, yeah if that works yeah. i guess yeah <laughs> but i mean you know poor lucas pope he had like a pretty hard job on his hands you know the the it's so tricky to write a story where 60 people have to die you know we we bang on about the last harry potter book about how mad jk rowling went <laughs> killing dobby and everyone and it's like poor lucas pope had to off 60 people and make it well, make sense he he offs about 40 and then 20 die off screen <laughs> yes that's and that's true. that's a little bit cheap particularly because quite a lot of the fates of the crew are very similar yes uh and it, and it, that that's those are usually the hardest ones to identify because they play such a, a minor role in terms of the sequences on the ship. I think getting it to sixty was good. I think in a lot of ways you kind of have to have some people who it's very hard to identify because otherwise, a the game's a lot shorter, and mm. I think that wouldn't be to its benefit. And b it means that you can't you can't easily do what I ended up doing at one point of mashing through lots of different combinations <laughs> until eventually three click. I think I think if you just had the people that were visible and like had obvious ways they were killed and obvious ways by who they were killed, this game would be shorter and worse for it. So I feel like having a little buffer of about 20 or so people who die in a way that's non-obvious and then you're like, oh, okay, they were wrapped up in that much larger event I saw. Mm. Yes. But again, it, that to me tells me that this was a game about that idea of the watch that goes back to the moment people's died mm. because i don't think the story informed the mechanics i think the mechanics inform the story yes no that is true it's it's very much something where i think he had an idea for a cool mm. mechanic for a video game and then retrospectively was like okay how can i make this work um yeah which i don't mind because the story, you know the story itself once you string it together isn't necessarily the most you know revolutionary story ever um but the act of getting there that journey is so much fun i completely agree and there's a little part of me that's actually a bit relieved that i can recommend a story-based video game without having the added pressure of going like, oh, and it's got this amazing moment that will make you cry. I'm so glad there's a good <laughs> yeah. video game story that didn't make me cry. I'm so exhausted emotionally from video games that are like, it's going to change stories forever. And then you play it and you're like, that was fine. Yeah, totally, totally. It's, uh, you know, you, 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 do, you do get a sense of the characters, but there's so much going on. It's very hard for you to get attached to a character emotionally. Mm. 
Um, and you know, this is set in the 1800s at sea, you know, like there's, these are salt of the earth sailors who aren't exactly, you know, opening up about their feelings and really letting you understand their interiority. Like it's, it's a very practical hands-on game, which is great. And I think, I think as well, one of the things I like about it is it, as you say, it's this, this set at sea and it's the 1800s. It does feel quite genre. It does feel quite pulp. Mm. Uh, it sort of has that feeling of something like Treasure Island or um, like the game has this illustration that you use to, as part of the deduction to help figure out who's who on the ship. And it feels like someone's taken the illustration and made the video game version of it. And part of that is that the storytelling is sort of, I, I'd describe it as like, it's adventurous and it's mysterious and it's dark in terms of like it has monsters of the high sea and so on but it's not it's not trying to be subversive i don't think this is a subversive game and i love that it's not a subversive Mm. game i'm really glad that it leans into its aesthetic and goes what you what you're expecting to see from this game is what you're going to get from it and it's really good fun and it's nice to I don't know. I, don't, I can't think of another game that has the same tone as Obra Dinn. I can't think of another game that has that same, you know, horror on the high seas, mysterious vibe. Whereas I, I can point to any number of like military shooters or high fantasy mm. or, you know, sci-fi uh, adventures. This, this stands out as a game about the 1800s and pirates and the ships and so on. Yeah, it's, it's amazing how much atmosphere you can pull from a game that is so low resolution with, you know, essentially just made up of dots. Um, And and it really suits the fact, you know, because it's set such a long time ago, like you said, it's got that sort of engraving quality to it. It is like, you know, the drawings at the time, it's almost in that style. So you you can, you really forgive it for any of its (laughs) graphical, um, yeah, foibles. yeah, I love this game. I think um, I remember when it came out, it got nominated for so many BAFTAs. And it's it's always mm. really interesting when you have a game like Oberdin up for best game um, at the Game Awards alongside, you know, these these really, you know, big AAA titles that are very, very shiny with so much cash behind them. And you're yeah. like, they're great. But wow, look at what someone who just, <laughs> who just looks at games in a different way. Look at what they can make. Yeah, there's something special about this game. There's something special about the fact it can... I think it was 2018 it came out? Yeah, it was. It was um, 2018 was an amazing year. We had like Cuphead that year, Overwatch, What Remains of Edith Finch. Like, yeah. it was an amazing I mean, year. I was thinking you, you've got Red Dead Redemption 2 and you've got God of War. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the thing is I think about I think about Red Dead Redemption 2 and I'm I'm a huge fan of the original Red Dead Redemption. It's absolutely one of my top 10 video games of all time. And I look at I look at Red Dead Redemption 2 and I'm like you didn't know when to stop. Mm. You didn't know when when you were pushing so hard to be so big and so bloated with all this idea of building a world that you didn't stop to think about the actual game that I'm going to have to play. And it's really interesting that in the same year, possibly one of the biggest, most over-designed video games of all time comes out. Here comes the Obra Dinn. Yeah. And I look at Obra Dinn with so much more fondness by comparison. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true because it's not overwrought. Yeah. I have to ask, actually, how long was it for you? How long did it take you to beat? Oh, 
I mean, it didn't take me two days. It took me a lot longer. So like, serious respect <laughs> to you. That is blitz in it. Um, I think it was probably about a week, a week and a half. But I mean, I, okay. I was being really, you know, I mean, that's probably only like, you know, maybe an hour or so of playing a day, two hours of playing. But um, Okay. Well, that makes sense to me because I, I played for about seven hours is according to the the, the PlayStation 5 counter on it. Ah, uh, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think, I think as well, it's one of those, it's an interesting factor of less is more. Like I've, one of the games I played on this uh, podcast earlier was Sniper Elite 4, which was a game that wanted to keep going, even mm. though it had very much outstayed its welcome. And uh, yeah, it just, I just feel like we're just constantly lavishing saying everything about this game is, is perfect and we like it and we think it's, uh, and we, I, yeah, I don't think there's anything about this game I would want to change. No. Even though yeah. I was disappointed by the fact that the twist ending's not a big deal. Yeah. But I think as well, we've, we talked about the plot from the perspective of the mystery that you're trying to solve. But one of the things I'm always trying to be conscious of when I play video games is there was a, a quote from the director of uh, Rayman Legends. Oh, right. Uh, who was the story director. Uh, sorry, not Rayman Legends, Rayman Origins. He was the story director for Rayman Origins, which sounds mad because Rayman Origins has about two paragraphs worth of story and that is not much at all. And he described his job as, my job wasn't writing a big lengthy story which you could learn all about in terms of like, oh, lore and characters and twists and so on. The story of a game is what you actually do in it. Where do you go in a video game? What do you do once you get there? What is the, what is the actual journey your character goes on? So we've talked about the mystery, mm. but that's not really the story of the video game. The story of the video game is the guy you're playing as unraveling this mystery. And I think yeah. the story of this game from that perspective is brilliant because it, it, the level of detachment you have from the characters makes sense because you're an insurance guy who's turned up on a boat who's just there to, to sort of very coldly yeah. assess who died and why and who's liable. One of the things that's great about this game is there is a ledger that by the end tells you how much each life on this boat was worth. And that's sort of, that's, that's a genius storytelling mechanic. Yeah, that the, that the reason that you're trying to find this is not because you had an emotional attachment to anyone. It's that literally every single person in your ledger, well, they have an estate. They have, you know, very boring... The house property things at home that need to be wrapped up and parceled out to relatives and you're trying to figure out as well that the people who own the ship you know the bosses well you know how much is their insurance going to pay out how much are they liable yeah. for it's like yeah there is something really really fun about that and that's also again it's very it's an excellent framing device because i think if it was like oh i'm the you you play as the son of someone who died on the ship and you're trying to uncover the truth of what happened mm. there would be a detachment between the player and the person you're playing as because you as the player you don't have that personal attachment to this ship you are not invested in the fate no. of anybody on this ship and again something that a lot of other video games that try to do is that idea of you must avenge your brother and you're sat there going i'm not their brother I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm the person with the sticks here driving the brother yes that is such a good point that we that idea of when you occupy the space of the character in the game so much more closely because you're not having to make emotional choices on their behalf when you don't have the emotion for it it's like the insurance inspector is as much a stranger on the boat as you are as the player you are mm. both coming in completely equal not knowing any of the characters and then you kind of you're there to do a job at the end of the day as players it is yeah. literally our job to solve this detective mystery that's why we've booted up the game in the first place and the insurance inspector well it's literally his job 
Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. I, 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 I think... I just, I just keep coming back to this idea of I love that even though it's one person... I say one person. There's a, in the credits, there's a few technical people. There's some translators. I don't want to completely be like, Lucas Pope did all of this by himself. Yes. He localised it into simplified Chinese. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's someone who understands the purpose of a video game story. And it's someone who understands how to write something. Not so it's, like, breathtakingly emotional. Not so it's, like, you know, going to completely change the landscape of how we view video games. It's not even one of these games that's trying to convince you that video games are art. Mm. It's not trying to push for that. It's just someone understanding what is interesting and involving in a story. And even though quite a lot of this video game is me cycling through a list of ways people could die and looking at someone (laughs) and going, were you crushed or were you drowned? Which isn't necessarily, it's not, you know, it's not trying to shoot somebody thousands of miles away or it's not exploring a solar system. It's, it, but it's engaging because I care about the stakes of what is going on. Yeah, yeah, totally. You, you feel like, you know, totally engrossed in the, the challenge that's been set for you, which is also why I'll, I, actually there is one thing that I would change about this game. It's uh, mm. the... There's multiple choice options, obviously, and you are you have to choose uh, from multiple choices exactly what happened to each mm. uh, member of the crew. And some of the choices are really similar, like yes. speared and spiked and drowned and fell overboard are two different things. It's kind of like yeah. very, very easy to... Uh... Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time thinking someone had been clawed when the game was like, no, 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 they were speared. Yeah. And I'm like, they were speared on a claw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I got similarly frustrated. Though the game does throw a very good curveball by including lots of methods of death that are not included in the game. Yes. It's not like you won't you won't work down the list of deaths going, well, nobody's nobody's been killed that way yet, so I expect that'll turn up. Yes. It, most of the time it won't actually turn up. Yeah, exactly. That coming back to the whole brute force thing, that it is actually quite difficult to Yes, it is, yeah. It's it's very difficult to brute force the method of death um if you aren't paying attention to a lot of that yeah and although i will say there's one point in the game where arguably somebody dies of one cause and then later you realize uh before they could die of that cause they're killed a different way (laughs) Um, which feels quite playful i quite enjoyed that yeah yeah um so yeah so i mean this is uh, this is unfortunately what i feared which is that we would just spend a lot of time praising this video game and the podcast would come out quite short because I just sat here and went, yeah, it was really it. good. I loved it. It's really good. There's not much tension in this episode. It basically amounts to, is this the best video game I've never played? Yes. Yes. Definitely. Oh, I'm so it glad. It definitely is. I'm so glad. I've won the game of You've won your the podcast. Game. <laughs> the good news is, is that because of the title of the podcast, it's now reset because I have played it. Shit. So it's... It's whether or not the next game is the best game I've never played. Yeah. But I think I think one one of the things I would heartily recommend to anybody uh, listening to this is don't just play this by yourself if you can play it with someone else. Um, my wife, Louise, was in the flat around the time when I was playing it. And I found I was frequently looking over and asking her, what do you reckon? Do you reckon that person's from here? Do you think this, that, you would say that's how they died and so on? And you sort of, you you can very easily spitball this game with the people around you. It's not a video game that needs you to be good at video games. 
it's so much more of a puzzle and it's something you can discuss and look at and chat about. I find with a lot of video games, it's very difficult to get people involved in them if they don't have any connection to that sort of idea of how to control a video game in a digital space. Like this is a first person video game in terms of its controls. Yeah. And I know for a fact there are people who just cannot fathom how to how to walk and strafe and look at the same time in a, in a video game. And it, it completely destroys uh, their ability to play it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. This is a game that you can really take more at your own pace. It's not as if, you know... Yeah, at no point do you have to master a jump. Exactly. And I think that's really good. And again, this is why I find it interesting that I'm sort of going, if, you, if you'd never played a video game before and you played this and you loved it, I would have no idea what to recommend you play next. There is nothing... <laughs> that is so There's true. no obvious jumping off point from Obra Dinn to something else. That is very true. I guess, ooh, what would I recommend? Hmm, hmm, stroke chin. Um, <laughs> maybe Her Story. Have you played that? I haven't played Her Story. I do own Her Story. Ah, that might come up in, a, in another episode. I was episode. about to say, this is the point where it's like, freeze frame, record scratch, <laughs> credits play, <laughs> next time on... <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Uh, Another good example of a video game I own but haven't played because the Humble Bundle website is relentless. But uh, yeah, I love this video game. I think think it's unique. I think it's interesting. And I think... I think the only way that something is going to beat this video game is either if it's so strongly in my wheelhouse and somehow I've missed it. Like if there's a secret uh, Metal Gear Solid game that I've never played. Yeah. And then it turns out there's another that it's either that or something equally unique and completely because I didn't expect this video game to be as good as it was. I expected Aww. this to be much like last week. I played Outer Wilds last week and I really admired Outer Wilds in terms of what it was doing. And I, I sort of said this is a it's it's a very unique and interesting game, but it didn't click for me. It wasn't my sort of video game. Mm. This definitely was. This completely blew me away. And I was really worried going into it that I was just going to be bashing my head against a brick wall trying to solve something yeah. that I didn't understand. Yeah. Oh, I feel like, you know that feeling when you get someone a birthday present and you're like, and you're sat there like watching them open it like, oh, they're going to like it, they're going to like it. <laughs> and you like it. And I'm like, yay, I've got the warm fuzzies. I'm very, I'm very glad you recommended it. Actually, genuinely, the worst thing about this video game it's digital only. I wish mm. I could share this with people. I wish I could pass it round. Yeah, that's so true. That is so true. But I think a good you made a good point about playing it with someone. I played it by myself and had a solo experience and really loved it. But um, my boyfriend's never played it. And uh, I'm debating about whether get, to get it on console because I had it on PC and to just sit mm. on the sofa and like... Because I'd quite like to play through it again. Because also there's so much that I'll have forgotten you know um it's been i i played it the year that it came out so it has you know it's 2018 so it's been years um mm. so yeah i think i might go back and play it with him and have some fresh eyes on it well i did spot that there are two trophies i didn't get even though i finished i finished the game overall as it were and i'm tempted to go and get them because one of them is especially funny um, <laughs> Um, well, uh, thanks very much for coming on the show, Alicia. Thank you. No, not at all. Thanks for having me. A huge thanks to Alicia there for coming on the show and for bringing on the return of the Obra Dinn. Unquestionably one of the best video games that I've never played. It's probably one of the best video games you've never played. You should go get it. You should go and grab it right now. It's a really fun, excellent video game that is an 
excellent way to spend your time uh, while we're not allowed to go outside because the air is poison. If you like this show, please subscribe to it. Please leave it a review on iTunes or all the other many podcast platforms. Uh, hey, why not tell a friend that you like it? Why not tell a friend and say, hey, I listen to this this podcast where this guy every week says that the video game he's played is actually the best video game he's never played uh, compared to the one from the previous week uh, because apparently his friends have ever-increasingly good taste. Next time on the show... Someone was more persistent than Charles. If you don't know what that means, go back and listen to episode one. And if you want to find out how it turned out, tune in next time to the best video game you've never played. 